Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Twenty, Desert Rose. The transformation of Arturo Jip was nothing short of spectacular. With Blackthorn's banishment, it seemed like an enchantment on the town had been snapped at last. In an ocean of desert, amidst the staggering sea of white sand, there rose a hill unlike any other, a jewel in the wasteland. The hill was now covered with vigorous, healthy green growth. The desert abruptly ended and the pleasant swish of tall, living, grassy meadows on the hillside took over. As the lush green climbed, it became more thickly interspersed with thousands of deep red roses. There were other flowers, cherry poppies, dazzling chrysanthemums, and even several varieties of orchids. But it was the rose that dominated, and they grew ever more dense the closer to the top of the hill one climbed. A sweet smell drifted on the desert wind from miles around. The myriad red dots waving happily in the rippling fields of rich green gave the hill a festive look, almost like an oasis of Christmas. And the center of Arturo Jip was even more striking. All of the buildings had been totally fixed and repainted. Every crooked knot was set aright, every rotting shingle meticulously replaced with a freshly cut one. The place positively sparkled. Nothing creaked, nothing groaned. Nothing was old. It was all new. The citizens of the Jip were markedly different now as well. Everyone bathed, for starters. That in itself was a huge improvement in Casey's opinion. But on top of that, now everyone wore clean clothes, well-cut clothes. Everyone looked dressed up for Sunday, all the time. The murderers, the thieves, the gunfighters, they'd all become perfect gentlemen. Some even wore suits with roses, the new symbol of the town, in their breast pocket. "'Good morning, Virgil, and afternoon, ma'am, and pleasant nights, Dalton.' all became things one commonly heard, polite-like. It was Main Street, USA, the city on a hill. There was only one strange quirky thing that they all did now. They carried luggage with them. They took it with them everywhere they went. Like Arturo Jip had become a huge train station, and they were all simply waiting for their trains to arrive. The Jip sure is coming, the preacher bellowed up and down the streets. Be ye prepared! Soon, verily, soon it will be upon thee. The Gypsher! The Gypsher! The people of the Gyp would simply nod to the preacher and to one another knowingly, with beatific smiles in their faces, as if there was some wonderful secret that they, and only they alone, shared. The funeral had been short. Not more than a few hours after Cody had been shot dead by Blackthorn, the townspeople had lifted his body into a simple wooden coffin. Then wordlessly, soundlessly... Eldon Floyd led the pallbearers on the slow march, as if this had all been rehearsed many times before. Six men shuffled in unison along the gravel, carrying the coffin to the edge of town. It was brought to the very graveyard Casey and Sasha had first encountered upon entering Arturo Jip. It was unbearable that Cody Chance was about to join their number. Like them, he would be buried with his boots on, and soon a craggy granite headstone with his name on it would mark where his body lay, another single rotting stone tooth in the rough gums of sand. 
The sun was large and bulbous on the horizon, making them all appear to be black shadows moving solemnly across the face of a glowing bag of blood in the sky. Oh, Cody. Neither Sasha nor Logan Whitecloud was present. Logan's wound simply would not wait. They needed to be tended to right away. With the help of the Sheridan brothers, of all people, Sasha had gotten Logan moved inside of the now-deserted Victorian. She'd brought up some of the bearskin bedding from the teepee and lay Logan down upon it. Then, with Logan's guidance, she set to work removing the bullets from his body. At the cemetery, the preacher mumbled a few words, and Cody's coffin was lowered on ropes into the square dirt hole in the earth. With a nod from Casey, Eldon and the others began shoveling dirt into the hole. The startling rattle of sand against the wood box filled the air with finality, making Casey wince. The two little Mexican boys who'd first greeted Casey and Sasha were suddenly among them. The men stopped shoveling dirt for a moment and watched the boys. Each grimly tossed an orchid into the grave, one red, the other white. Then, as one, they lifted their eyes to Casey and gave her a slight nod. Casey blinked in surprise and then nodded her thanks back to them. They turned and walked up the hill of Arturo Jip again without a word. The fortune teller, Athena, hovered nearby, also watching the burial. Dirk Fletcher was with her, and several other faces Casey recognized from around the town. And then, just like that, it was done. Cody was in the ground. Casey thanked them all quietly, and one by one, they drifted away from the cemetery, back towards the threads of their lives that remained. It was right after this that the transformation of the jip had begun. The men had gone back home and cleaned up, taken baths and put on their Sunday best. The women had packed the luggage. The hillside had spontaneously sprouted lush grass, roses and orchids. The buildings of the town had miraculously taken on a new shine, a sparkle as though renewed from the inside out. The talk of the impending gypsher had begun. Casey gathered from snippets of conversation that for some reason the town folk didn't expect to be here much longer. They were all going home again, back to where they had come from. Hope shone on every face. But in her heart, Casey knew that she and Sasha were staying. Their business with Blackthorn wasn't over yet. Soon, very soon, death was coming. In what was now Casey's Victorian at the end of the street, Sasha continued to attend Logan. They had by now set up a makeshift bed for him on the first floor, and Sasha had washed and cleaned his bullet wounds. Under the old Indian's direction, she'd even managed to extract the bullets with a knife and a pair of pincers made from a hanger. Logan had managed to stoically avoid screaming or squirming as she worked on him. Afterwards, Logan said that he needed to sleep and drifted off. Casey had gone down to the teepee and rounded up the rest of Cody's things. He didn't have much, but Casey finally got a choke in her throat when she found his diamond-studded denim jeans. She unfolded them and held them out in front of her. Then, on an impulse she couldn't explain, she suddenly decided to try them on. To her utter astonishment, they fit perfectly. That doesn't make any sense, she thought. Cody had been much bigger than she was. How had he fit into these jeans when she was about half his size? One more mystery of the jip to add to the growing list, she thought. She loaded Ed the mule with the rest of Cody's things and brought them all back to the Victorian. Casey had moved into Blackthorn's old room. She and Sasha rid the room of Blackthorn's things and stored them in the Niberian vault, including Blackthorn's bed. Instead, Casey had put down the bearskin bedding from the teepee on the floor. Casey also had retrieved many of the items Blackthorn had stuffed into his extra room and set them up all around the house. 
the Victorian actually looks somewhat cheery now. While Logan slept, Casey and Sasha made a meal in the kitchen. How are you doing? Sasha asked Casey tentatively. I've been better, Casey replied, but I seem to be handling it. I'm numb. Maybe it'll all hit me later. Sasha nodded and put her hand on Casey's arm. If there's anything I can... I know, Casey replied, and then fell silent for a moment. Then she grew thoughtful and asked Sasha, So what do you make of all this? I mean, everything we learned in the town hall, all that with Blackthorn. I was there. I I did it, but I still don't understand exactly what happened. Sasha looked up at her with knowing eyes. It's obvious. I I mean, to me, it is now. I I was going to wait to tell you, give you time, you know, because of Cody and all. But you're asking, so here it is. I think you're doing it. Doing what? All of it. This whole place. You're manifesting Arturo Jip, dreaming it up, making it real, somehow. That's why you're the town founder. That's why the fortune teller told you that you were the queen of this place. Casey just stared at Sasha. The same urge to throttle her had returned. The same feelings she'd gotten right before Sasha had revealed that the word purgatory was hidden in the letters of Arturo Jip. No, that's not right, Casey said, immediately dismissing this. I have no idea how I could be doing this. I don't have that kind of power. Only books. But you do, Sasha said emphatically. Remember what Anki said. The universe is a dream. And during the pocket, you were the only one out of all of us who could enter mirrors. You have a natural talent for this sort of thing, Casey. Anki said it was because you spent a lot of time looking into mirrors. But what I think he meant was that you were kind of an introvert. You live in your head a lot. You have this, this, this kind of focus. I think somehow it got triggered by that arch we went through. It lit up the part of you that can do this. And your subconscious knows it. It's throwing you little clues. Like what the fortune teller said to you. Like the name of the town, Arturo Jip, really being purgatory. Those little boys ran up to you. Not both of us, but you. With orchids when we first arrived. It's like the way dreams have symbols and stuff. And your subconscious knows something it's trying to make conscious. Casey thought about this for several minutes. Maybe you're right, but I don't want to believe it. I mean, it's not like this is even in my control. If I am doing it, I'm doing it subconsciously. You drove Blackthorn out. You did that consciously. But he's coming back, Casey whispered. I didn't get rid of him entirely. I just threw him off balance. He's coming back. Then you should understand something else. The people here, Casey. Sasha nodded in the direction of Logan. You're making them up as well. Eldon Floyd, Morgan Wiley, Dirk Fletcher, the Sheridan brothers, even Cody and Logan. They're all different parts of you somehow. No, Casey said, shaking her head. Now she really felt like attacking Sasha, shutting her up. Her mind was cracking open. I can believe that maybe somehow I'm creating this place, but not the people. The people themselves are too real. They're, they're too individual. They wandered into this place from the real Old West. Somehow I must have... No, Casey, Sasha almost shouted. You're in an amazing amount of denial about this. Look, you're making them up as well. You ever notice how nobody in this town knows their birthday? How their memory of where they were before the jip is always kind of hazy? Or where they're from? Casey looked at Sasha in shock. Then Cody... You made him up also. Completely. And not bad, Casey. I have to compliment you on inventing him. Casey would have laughed at any other moment, but her feelings were so twisted up she didn't know how to react. He's you, Casey. Your idealized guy. 
That's why his demon diamond pants also fit you perfectly. Because you are Cody. Hell, you even gave him your own initials. CC. Cody Chance. Get it? Casey Cole? Casey Serranis? And when you asked him where he was from, he said, Boston, but then asked you if that was okay. He needed your approval. Casey sat stunned for a moment. Oh my god. Yeah, Sasha nodded. I know, a trip, huh? Casey gulped. Usually you're the one who figures out things like this, Sasha said. You're the intuitive one, not me. But this is too personal. You're blinded because you're too close. Sasha debated with herself for a moment and then said, In fact, I'll bet you're struggling not to shut me up right now, aren't you? You don't want to hear this. Casey nodded dumbly again. But, okay. Casey struggled to talk. Why in the world would I let Cody get killed then? I mean, if I'm the one making all this up, why wouldn't I want to keep Cody alive? Sasha nodded. I have no doubt that you did want to, but you invented Cody to be selfless. These people you made up, they all have their own personalities, their own thoughts as well. And over time, the longer we stay here, they all took on kind of a life of their own. And there was a part of Cody that knew that it was only with his own death that you would understand what was really going on here. And that, in turn, would enable you to stand up to Blackthorn on your own, to do what you did yesterday afternoon. Or otherwise, you'd be forever stuck sneaking around, trying to figure out whatever cockamamie Nuberian plot Blackthorn was up to next, never really realizing what was really going on, that the real game was elsewhere, and you badly needed to realize that. A bolt of fear shone in Casey's eyes. Then Blackthorn... That's right, Sasha nodded knowingly. He's a part of you as well, but a different part. Your dark side, your shadow, the part of yourself that you don't like to think about, the part none of us likes to acknowledge even exists. And that's why he never sleeps. But at first, even Blackthorn himself thought that he really was a maroon Nibirian, because that was how you pictured him, how you pictured evil. So Blackthorn went and behaved like a Nibirian. He started planning his escape from the jip. He forced the blacksmith to work on his new secret sky chamber. You even provided the backstory for how Blackthorn could logically be here with that crashed sky chamber in the desert. And then, for extra kicks, you gave him a house, complete with a Namshub and a Nuberian fault with Umphalo's gems in it. Casey snorted half a laugh. <laughs> Tree of pain sold separately. But Sasha kept going. But even Blackthorn started to suspect that he was something other than just a Nuberian. Consciously. Probably after his first encounter with you at the Thirteen. You said that he tried to choke you, and it was like... He was choking himself when he did. He had to let you go. And after that, he knew something was up. But he didn't know what. And that's why he went to the fortune teller. To try to figure himself out. And when he finally understood what was really happening, for a long time, he couldn't accept it. The devil thinks that he created himself. But deep down, he knows the truth. That's why he shot your name off the welcome sign. He didn't like the reminder. It's also why he obsessively carved your name into his desk and crossed it out over a hundred times. It was freaking him out that he was nothing more than someone else's dark side. Casey nodded and continued the thought. And when the moment of truth came, and he actually succeeded at his escape plan, something in him snapped. He couldn't fool himself any longer. He knew that he couldn't really ever leave Arturo Jip. I'm damned to this place with or without that ship, he said. Sasha nodded in return. There was no way for him to get out of your head. I mean, how could he when he's your dark side? So Blackthorn shifted tactics. Instead of trying to leave, he tried to control you, lock you into a prison of fear inside of your own head, remake this world in here to his own liking. 
That's what that edict about martial law was really all about. It was a desperate attempt to scare you and everyone else here into submission. But why did he care about everyone else in the town? Casey asked, perplexed. He didn't want any of the townspeople shot by the hill brigands. Because everyone else here, they're all pieces of you. And the more pieces of you that are scared of him, the more power he has. Killing them off does no good. In fact, it lessens his opportunities for influence over you. But the whole thing backfired, thanks to Cody sacrificing himself. Instead, you stood up to him. You commanded him. And since Blackthorn is part of you, he actually had to obey a direct order. He had no choice. Like I said, this time, Casey breathed. He's stronger now, and he's got something planned for me. We'll deal with that when the time comes, Sasha said quietly. Together. Oh, oh my God, Casey replied, her eyes suddenly full of some new fear. She backed away from Sasha like she was a ghoul. You! You're part of this also. I'm making you up. You're not even the real Sasha. But Sasha looked surprised and then laughed. Me? No, no, I'm real. Other than you, I'm the only real person here. I promise. I mean, I know I'm real. I'm really Sasha Foy, not some image in your head of me. Somehow, I'm inside this thing with you. How do I know that? Casey said. How do you know that? Maybe you just think you're real, and besides... And besides, how can you be in my own head with me? Sasha grabbed her. Calm down, listen. I have a theory about that also. Somehow that arch zapped both of us, knocked us out, and ever since, you and I were tied together into the same dream. The arch must somehow be powering your talent, and I got knocked into it all with you. You've got no proof of that, Casey said despondently. Ah, but I do. Thanks, weirdly, to Blackthorn. The second night you were in the Thirteen when he grabbed you, he was already starting to guess the truth about himself, what he was. That's why he got drunk, he couldn't deal with it. But he had to know for sure once and for all. So he drove himself into you, into your conscious mind. He forced you to wake up for a few moments in the real world. He was looking out through your eyes, and afterwards you vaguely remembered being somewhere else on the floor. Okay, ready for this? I think that's because that's where you really are right now. We both are. We're passed out, knocked unconscious, back on the floor of the Pyramid of the Arches, and we're having the same dream. But it's your dream, not mine. Everything points to you. Casey thought about this for a second and then said, Not everything. Ace. Ace is your fear, not mine. Sasha nodded, smiling. I know. Clever of you. You supplied him for me. Do you remember when exactly it was that he first showed up? It was when you went out to the well, and we started talking about all this maybe being inside of a book after all. And, conveniently, you discovered the very well from the book right here in Arturo Jip, the same book that Ace was killed in by the wolves. We started wondering if maybe there was a crossover between the universes inside the book. Remember? We talked about whether the wolves from Ian's woods might start showing up here in the jip. Neither one of us consciously thought about Ace himself, though. But subconsciously, I did, Casey finished. And it was at that very moment that, again, conveniently, Ace popped into existence in the desert. Sasha nodded. Yep. But, but what about Anki, Casey said. He was here, and... Sasha shook her head. No, Anki was never really here. The town folk, quote, remembered him because that's what you expected to find. You thought we'd come here through an arch, the same one Anki had gone through, so your subconscious figured we should find some trace of him here and supplied one. But the real Anki was never actually an Arturo Jip. Casey nodded. So what about the airplane? What was that all about? Sasha shrugged. That I don't know. I think you were just inventing details for Blackthorn's plan. 
He needed a rift to fly a sky chamber life raft through, so you gave him one and showed him right where it was by manifesting a 747 and flying that right through it in front of him. What's with this gypsher, Casey said, head nodding towards the outside. Everyone in town is acting all weird, like they're leaving. They are, Sasha replied. You don't need them anymore. Their part of the drama inside your head is played out, and you've won. That's why the hillside is filled with roses, and everything is sparkling and new. But the town folk themselves, they'll all be gone soon enough. Your psyche has no more need of them. But they won't really be gone, will they? In a way, no. They're part of you. They'll go back to being inside of you only, instead of both inside and outside at once. They really are going back home. So what do I do now? Casey asked. Click my heels together three times? Make us wake up at the Pyramid of the Arches? Sasha shrugged. I'm not sure. I thought maybe by making all this conscious you might make it all disappear, wake us up. You know, the way finally understanding the meaning of a dream you keep having makes you stop having the dream over and over again. But I guess not. We're still here. There may be some part of it we haven't figured out yet. Blackthorn, Casey said. Somehow he's keeping us stuck here. Sasha nodded. I agree, but I don't understand how. I hate him, Casey breathed. He may be my own dark side, but I hate him like I have never hated anyone. Logan sat up on his bed for the first time. Pain creased his wrinkled face. Sasha winced in sympathy and tried to help him get comfortable. I have heard everything that you have said, Logan whispered in a gravelly voice. Sasha and Casey exchanged worried glances. You believe that I exist only in Casey's mind, that I am a figment of her imagination. Casey looked at him in horror. It was very weird to think of Logan Whitecloud as somehow being inside of her head. It didn't seem that way, not right now. He still looked like the same old man she'd come to love. And when she saw him, she couldn't bring herself to believe everything she and Sasha had just been discussing. Well, it, it's more complicated than that, Sasha protested. We certainly didn't mean any disrespect. We're just, we're just trying to understand what's happening to us. But tell us, what do you think? Logan sighed. I do not know what to think. I do not seem to myself to be a dream, if that is what you ask. But I do not have the wisdom for a big question like this. It is a matter beyond me. It may very well be that I am just Casey's dream. But then again, maybe she is my dream as well. What do I think? I think it does not matter so much. To me, I am still Logan Whitecloud. I am no different. Knowing what you have said does not change me, even if it is true. The struggle of life remains. Casey nodded. I have been happy to know you too. I have been the white thorn, stinging the hand of the black thorn through the red rose and the white rose. And that thought makes me glad. That is all I know. Logan Whitecloud fell asleep again. Quietly, Casey and Sasha left the room. When Casey and Sasha awoke the next morning, everyone was gone. The red sun was still new in the forgetful sky when Sasha came back down from drawing water in the town well. She told Casey what she had seen, or rather, not seen. The town was completely deserted. The gypture had happened on schedule. Not a trace remained of anyone or their luggage. Even Logan Whitecloud was no longer in his bed, snatched away sometime during the night. Sasha had entered several homes and other places just to be sure. Not a single living soul remained in Arturo Jip, except for Casey Serranus and Sasha Foy. The two of moons. In the end, there will only be the two of you, both women, standing alone against the shadow. It had happened at last, just as the fortune teller had predicted.
Today's the day, Casey told Sasha grimly. He's coming. Sasha nodded. When? Casey paused and then said, This afternoon. Then Casey turned to Sasha. What kind of battle will this be? I mean, he's my dark side. What are we fighting for? Sasha looked intensely at Casey. Your soul. We're fighting for who you will be when this is over. Sasha grabbed Casey's hand. Come on, we'd better suit up and get ready. They closed up the Victorian. They folded the bearskins, the linens. They put away the kitchen things. They shut the windows. They locked the doors. It was as if they were merely closing a summer home for the season, as if they would return next summer. But both girls knew that they would either be dead or gone from this place before the sun set again. Casey knelt at Cody's grave. Sasha couldn't hear what she was saying, but she knew she was talking to him. Despite everything they'd learned, Cody was real to Casey even still. And when she'd finally stood, Sasha swore she even saw Cody for a moment looking out of Casey's eyes. It was like the two of them had merged. Casey and Sasha stood side by side and looked to the east. Casey wore a blue silk shirt open at the neck. She'd found it among Cody's things, and like the jeans, it fit perfectly. It caught in the breeze and rippled like a flag. And she wore the denim pants studded with diamonds with sleek black boots. The sheriff's badge was pinned to her bullet belt. Her sheaf of blonde hair blew free in the wind beneath a maroon gypsy bandana tied around her head. Three belts crisscrossed her body, filled with bullets. And her enchanted guns, the red roses, silver and crimson, hung at her sides. Determination gripped her elfin features. Sasha had selected clothes from among those still left in the deserted town. Sturdy jeans, boots. She wore a black poncho over the top of everything, something that had belonged to Logan Whitecloud. Bullets circled her waist, and her own eldritch guns, the white roses, colored of gold and snow, sat snug at her hips. All they could do now was wait. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey. Read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book 1, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book 2, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover.